Welcome to the Hyphenated Nation, the show that explores how our identities shape the way we see the world and experience life. I am your host, Hannah Lin, and I am a 1.5 generation Chinese Canadian. On this week's episode, I interview Han Min, who identifies as 1.5 Gen Korean Canadian. We chat about the representation of Asians in the media, what it was like growing up in Canada, and what self love is all about. Hi everyone! Today I have Han Min Yang with me, who is the founder and CEO of Alike, a social network that celebrates the Asian experience. After immigrating from Korea to Canada as a young boy, Hemin learned to navigate the Canadian culture and society by watching TV and film. And the negative depictions of Asians that he saw molded the way he saw himself and the world around him. Hemin developed a like to challenge the way Asians are represented in mainstream media while offering a safe space where Asians can tell their stories, create meaningful connections, and find community. With a background in film and media, Hemin's storytelling skills took him down an unconventional career path that ranged from filmmaking to importing fashion goods and running a startup incubator for the Korean government in Silicon Valley to doing stand-up comedy in Toronto. Currently, with Alike, Hemin is on a journey to help Asians define self-love. Welcome to the show, Hemin. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Hannah. That was a long bio that I sent you. I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> I'm happy to share with our listeners because it shows that you have so many different avenues going on for you and how your background kind of impacts all of the creative paths yeah. you've taken. Um, so I want to know what is your hyphenation? What it was like growing up as a Korean Canadian in Canada? My hyphenation is that I'm a 1.5 generation Korean Canadian. I moved to Canada with my family when I was eight years old, the middle of winter. And growing up um, back then, I guess, as a little eight-year-old boy who didn't speak any English, it wasn't easy. It was, yeah, it was like a, a, a huge culture shock. And my parents were working most of the time. So the way that I, and you know, they're new to the country too, right? So mm -hmm. they're learning as much as I'm learning. I, I remember when I was in grade five, I think, uh, they came in for parent-teacher interview night. And, you know, mm -hmm. it was me that I had to translate mm -hmm. uh, what my teacher was telling them. It was me that was having to teach them the local culture, right? So it was hard on all of us. Um, but I learned, I think I learned to navigate the Canadian society by watching movies and films. That's, I, I think I've always been attracted to narratives and stories. So... I mean, both fortunately and for unfortunately, I, I picked up a lot of good and bad things. But the biggest impact that, you know, watching those shows and films had on me was there's no place for me in Canadian society except being the butt of a joke. Mm. Because that's how Asian men were seen. And I fortunately internalized a lot of that. What a powerful story. I think, like yourself, I also identify as being 1.5 generation Chinese Canadian. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, you know, the definition of 1.5 is really being stuck between two generations. Um, yeah. Like our parents, or unlike our parents who are considered first generation um, immigrants, I felt like I was stuck between 
my Chinese culture and the Canadian culture and how much I wanted to represent where I came from to um, where and who I am now and balancing um, the potential of being ridiculed and made fun of and also being celebrated and being, um, you know, the topic of curiosity in many conversations with other schoolmates or friends. So I definitely can resonate a lot with your story. Did you grow up in a Korean Canadian community in Canada? And have you seen any changes from what it was like then to what it what the Korean Canadian community is like now? You know, I don't know if that's, yeah, that's a difficult one for me to answer uh, mm -hmm. because I, I don't think we, yeah I don't think I was in in a Korean Canadian community often uh, when we did immigrate right away um, we did join a church a Catholic church and I think my parents did that just to find community because we weren't Christians or Catholics before we actually our family actually comes from a Buddhist background um, but at the time when we landed there were no Buddhist communities in Toronto so the only place where you can find other Koreans is in it's in churches so we went to church I even got baptized I, I went to Catholic school all my life but after a while like I think my family had a falling out with the the particular church that we were attending because there used to be these monthly or weekly meetings. I think it was monthly where we'd go over to someone's house and, you know, sell, just have dinner together, like 10 families or whatever. And then after a while, uh, I don't know that, I don't know what happened exactly, but then either we stopped going or they cut us off. Oh no, you know what happened? <laughs> what happened? What this a juicy is, story. This is terrible. <laughs> we, oh. It was our turn. It was, our turn to host mm -hmm. and my parents had uh, prepared all the food and we were expecting everyone and mm -hmm. then nobody showed up oh my goodness yeah and then we and wow. then my dad, yeah my dad called everyone and they're like oh yeah we decided not to go and they never told us they never told us um but i'm not shitting on like you know churches wow. or what have you it, like it was just that particular group of people it did not work out for my family mm. and churches. <laughs> and that's okay. That's, that's okay. okay. Too. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I, that probably happened for a reason. And there's probably a lot of backstory that I you know, don't know about. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think my parents weren't comfortable with the Christian theology. And maybe that came through in their dialogue. Interesting. And, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel like we had much of a Korean Canadian community. Yeah, when I think back on and off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is so interesting that we both had a church experience growing up. So mm. um, I also so when I immigrated here, we also went to a church growing up, I would be one of the people that never missed church on Sunday. I would always yeah. attend as a kid, it would be Sunday yeah. school. And then eventually when I got old enough, I would be the camp counselors join vocational Bible school, which is like a summer camp they run. And I was heavily involved in a church scene and particularly we went to a Chinese church. So um, I felt like every Sunday, I felt like I was 
somehow brought back to a community that felt familiar. And I think that's mm -hmm. what drew me so much to the community, so church community. Mm -hmm. um, but I think within that, I felt segregated um, because not everyone had the understanding of what it's like leaving um, my home country and coming right. to Canada. So there were a lot of um, second gen second children, also the first gen, which is yeah. like people my parents' age who yeah. had children. And even though the people I went to church with were similar in age, you know, in Sunday school, they didn't have an understanding of what it's like being a 1.5 generation child or a kid. And, but in, in a different way, I think the church um, brought me a lot of comfort and also was a safe space um, in mm -hmm. a sense. But I'm sorry to hear that after all the prepping and all after all that hard work, um, you know, that meeting didn't happen. Yeah, and I think and you're okay. right, like it probably didn't happen for a good reason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some things are just not meant to be, but I think exactly. um, that story just like triggered this emotion inside of me that I feel many children, immigrant children or children in general um, feel when they, you know, anticipate this joy, this um, event, mm -hmm. and then they yeah. are kind of like let down. And, and um, so I feel like that happens a lot <laughs> yeah. in our childhood. So, yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. you, you mentioned something else that was interesting. Um, yeah, I, I do remember while growing up and during middle school and high school, I would come across other groups of Korean people um, and, you know, kids my age. And I remember not fitting in exactly uh, because there were like second generation Korean kids, you know, who spoke perfect English and, you know, knew all the local references, cultural references mm -hmm. and like media references. And then there were like very new immigrant children, Korean children who had only been there maybe, you know, a few months to a year. And, and with these two groups, I, I found that, yeah, I, I, you know, one, I didn't feel Canadian enough. And then the other one, I didn't feel Korean enough because uh, my mm -hmm. Korean wasn't very good. So yeah, you're right. Like I couldn't really fit into either of these groups. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing to identify because I think as children, I was just always confused. <laughs> you know, there was this mm -hmm. like weird feeling I couldn't describe with words. But I think yeah. um, as we have grown older, I think I'm able to put words behind those feelings that I didn't before and how powerful is that because that's part of that was part of my healing journey to identify like mm. what happened <laughs> and um, how did that shape me um, and I still continue to do that because I think it's a lifelong journey and I think more and more I'm able to look at what happened to me and see my perseverance even as a kid trying to get by and trying to stand tall um, when things haven't always you know, gone my way. That's the resilience we have as a 1.5 generation because we constantly have to balance the two cultures within. I see it as a beautiful thing and I see it as a challenging thing. So I like how our stories resonated with each other and how we're able to um, find commonality through the fact that we didn't quite belong anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I do want to add to that, you know, on, until one comes to the point where they're able to accept that and move beyond that. It is challenging. It's not easy. And mm -hmm. I feel like most 1.5ers, they go through a rite of passage where 
this happened to me when I was 20 and I visited Korea uh, where they come to realize and really accept, oh, you know what? I'm not this and I'm not that, but I'm in between and that's okay. Um, you know, at least I know now mm-hmm. and I know how to react. Um, but until one crosses that path, it, it certainly isn't easy. And it's very common, even though like for us, for you and me being 1.5ers, it's very literal. We're born in one place, grow up in another place. But as I started this alike journey and came into contact with so many different types of Asians, I, I came to realize our stories are very similar. Mm. I had when I started this journey about for alike, I had never considered Asian adoptees having identity crises. Right. But that. You know, I, I, to- I can totally understand and sympathize what they go through. That's so mm-hmm. confusing. Your family is all white. You grew up speaking only English. All the people that you see in your life have blue eyes, blonde hair, and you look totally different. Mm-hmm. That's so confusing. And even like third, fourth generation Japanese Brazilian men who've never been to Japan and don't speak a word of Japanese and even second generation, it's not easy for them and half Asians, right? So many of us um, go through this identity crisis because we're not a majority, right? Whereas if you're an Asian in Asia, it's, it's very straightforward. You don't go through these, this, these struggles. Yeah. 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 I never consider some of those either. Um, I think it would be, difficult for me to imagine what it's like in, in their perspective, mm-hmm. um, because I could only tell from the outside um, and from my own experience. So mm-hmm. I think the theme we've been talking and circling around and around is all about self-love. And I want to dive into that um, sure. because that's what a like is about. So absolutely, tell me more about a like and what would it look like for Asians to find self-love, you think? I was just going to make a joke about how they would have to see you and me in person. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. What would it look like to meet an Asian who has, who possesses self-love? You know, I think they're really compassionate human beings who's content with their identity, not forceful. They're not angry. They're at peace and they're able to share those feelings and those emotions just by, not, not with words, with words also, but just by the calmness and serenity of who they are. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're with them, you could see they have a, uh, a gentle smile on their face. They're, ha- they're in the moment. They're not fighting. A lot of us, I find, are fighting. And, and, and not in such obvious ways. But like I, I'm sure you can understand, you know, we res- I'll talk about myself. You know, I resisted calling myself Korean. Mm. I called myself Canadian for the longest time because I, I didn't want to have that association with being Asian. I didn't want to be the butt of the joke of the society. I didn't want to be seen as the the person who's unlovable, 
who nobody wants to date, will never get a date, never have sex, never get married, you know, because in mainstream media, we're depicted as the Asian businessman, uh, karate man, um, the nerds and the geeks, right? I didn't want that. I didn't want to identify with that. So, you know, I resisted. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and tag me on Instagram at the hyphenated nation so I know you're listening with me. Now back to the show. And I think that's a common thread too in a lot of individuals in the Asian community. So uh, once you go through that and and I, I personally hit um, rock bottom after mm. a terrible divorce. And even that, I'm going to go back it a little bit. I, one of the most influential movies that I watched when I was growing up, I believe was uh, Karate Kid part two, where mm. they go to Japan and the, the protagonist who happens to be a white kid uh, falls in love with a beautiful Japanese woman. And, and that I think, influenced me mm. unconsciously and even to the point where I might have developed Asian fetish because of that movie and later on in life I actually ended up marrying a Japanese woman like not Japanese American Japanese Canadian but a Japanese Japanese woman Interesting. and yeah I'll never know to what extent how much of that movie really influenced me and how much of it came from that but I I feel like there there must be something there Hmm. And, you know, it, was, it, it ended up not working out well because she came from a totally different culture. I came up from a totally different culture. And that divorce led me to hitting rock bottom. Hmm. And then it was when I hit rock bottom, I was able to let go of all these expectations that I've lived by and realize, you know, I didn't make these expectations. I didn't put these expectations on me. A lot of it came from the media, which I was fighting. And a lot of it also came from my parents and the stories that they tell me and comparing me with their friends, more successful children's. And, it, and I was, um, because I was so low, I, I, I was able to say, fuck it. And, I, I was able to let go of all that and I wasn't fighting so much anymore with those expectations. And it was liberating. Hmm. So after that, I, and I was seeing a lot of therapists during that time. Well, two, I was seeing two therapists and one had started as a marriage therapist and one I was seeing individually on my own. And I continued seeing them both to redevelop my own being and you know i discovered self-love then and that was like walking out of a dark cave that i had lived in all my life and seeing sunlight for the first time it was you can't describe it until you step out of that dark cave what it's like and then i realized okay well you know what now i i'm at rock bottom I'm, I don't have the burden of these 
expectations that the society and my parents have put on me, I've uh, already disappointed everyone. So I might as well <laughs> spend the rest of my life being becoming the person that I want to be. Uh, so I put myself at the center. And the question became, well, who do I want to be? And then I started working on that. And I'm not fighting so much anymore. And I'm always, I always start with self-love and, you know, how can I be better to myself? And that has allowed me actually to become a better person and love others even more. I never, I never appreciated and loved my friends truly until I had discovered that self-love. And it was only after I discovered self-love, I was like, no, I truly love and appreciate my friends' company, who they are. I enjoy being with them. And there was more joy in my life. Wow, how powerful. I had to take a deep breath um, <laughs> towards the end of that story because, yeah. well, thank you so much for being vulnerable and just sharing your experience. And mm. I think um, that's actually, I think, a sign of self-love is yeah. to be able to tell your story and to be able to share that with someone else and with an audience and not feel like you're back at that place again. I think it takes a lot of healing and a lot of courage to do that. So I applaud you for being able to share and even being able to make the connections between what you saw as a kid in mainstream media to the decisions you made. And again, we don't know how, like what media and what we see how much it influences and impacts mm -hmm. us. But I think yeah. having that awareness is so powerful. And being even for myself, I am more than ever being so conscientious of what I take in and what I see, what I read, what I learn, yeah. because I want every and all of that to feed into, like you said, who I am mm -hmm. versus being at conflicts of who I think I am. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, such a beautiful and powerful story. And I think it really it's coming full circle with um, your project with a like because you're helping yeah. other people see that and you're helping to build more inclusive spaces where people can perhaps feel safer to share their vulnerable stories to share what tugs at their heartstrings. So yeah, I applaud you yeah. for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. And that's exactly what a like does. So we what's unique about a like I mean, you know, you can say alike is unique because it's, you know, an, a safe space for Asians, but that's, that's not actually, you know, uh, that's not, to, that's not the only thing, you know, mm -hmm. and then some people will say, oh, it's unique because it's video based. Well, that's not the only thing either, because there are, there are other platforms that are video based. What's we unique about uh, like is that we offer prompts that celebrate the Asian experience. Nowhere else are you going to get a prompt like what I love most about being Asian or the best noodle soup is my Asian role model is or a piece of Asian related media that I recommend is. And these uh, incite our users to tell stories where they get to celebrate their, their identity, their Asianness. And like you said, you know, with that comes self-love. With that comes opening up, being vulnerable. And I personally believe when you're being vulnerable and opening up, 
that's such a precious point where relationships can happen. So that's the idea behind alike. So be honest, um, be vulnerable, be open, be self-loving. And, and when you're telling these stories, a lot of the times you're going to find, you know, you're going to, you're laughing at yourself because it's come after some level of healing, or mm -hmm. maybe the process of telling that story is a process of healing for you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. So, you know, picture five years from now, where would you like to see alike be uh, five years from now? What are your goals and hopes for this platform? Uh, five years from now, um, what I'm working towards is alike becoming the online destination for the Asian Canadian and Asian American community. Uh, maybe even just the Asian diaspora community, because we'll be in mm. like, you know, Germany, Australia, Singapore, whatever, to find news, Asian news, networking, relationships, and a sense of community. Well said, well said. I'm so excited to see where light goes and how it will grow in the next months, next years. I think um, the initiative, it will be very important in this um in this day and age, but also, um, I think more than ever, we need it, um, especially with all the immigration that's happened with all the people that are choosing to immigrate, not because their parents did so. So I think um, having almost like a root place or a home base to go back to or to visit uh, will be so important for the Asian uh, diaspora. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me. Um, before I let you go, I have yeah. a few lightning round questions. So let's just get jump straight into it. Um, you mentioned that in your bio, you're a filmmaker and that's kind of what your background is. Who was your biggest inspiration to pursue filmmaking? Uh, it could be someone or a literature, well, a piece of literature, film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to say it because that person is not is become a controversial figure uh it's ever yeah ever since the me too movement so you know um yeah i i don't follow that person on a personal level anymore would you um, would you be able to share what about them at the time drew you to this career i think yeah. like a characteristic yeah well they i i felt like they had an insight to the, a deep human level uh, where they're able to depict human beings as complicated mm. as as people that make irrational decisions based on emotions uh, but at the end of the day all human beings uh, they just want to be loved mm. uh, and that was something i could empathize with and it and their movies were hilarious What's your one piece of advice for someone who may be feeling uncomfortable in their own skin right now? What I do when I feel that way is uh, I go into a quiet, dark room and I just sit and think. I might lie down, but I just think about what's causing me to feel this way. Um, and I just keep asking myself, what's causing me? Where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? And then usually an answer pops up. Uh, and sometimes it might not be pleasant. It might be difficult to accept. It might force you to 
do something that you're uncomfortable with uh, and, and something that might take a lot of courage. But then once you know the truth, it's hard to run away from it. Mm. Just keep asking yourself, where, where is this coming from? Very nice. Yeah, that's a really yeah. great piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, was there anything, Hamin, that you wanted to say before we uh, end the episode? Uh, love yourself. That's, that's the core of our message. <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think if everyone loved themselves a little more, the world would be a much better place. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave a review about your favorite topic discussed today. If you would like to get involved in future episodes, let's get connected.